God is going to do through his people. Hear the word of the Lord. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light, and the kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see, they all gather together, they come to you. Your sons shall come from afar, and your daughters shall be carried on the hip. Then you shall see and be radiant, and your heart shall thrill and exult, because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you, and the young camels of Midian and Ephah and those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense, and shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. All the flocks of Kedar shall be gathered to you, the rams of Naboth shall minister to you. They shall come up with acceptance on my altar, and I will beautify my beautiful house. Who are these that fly like a cloud and like doves to their windows? For the coastlands shall hope for me, the ships of Tarshish first, to bring your children from afar their silver and gold with them, for the name of the Lord your God and for the Holy One of Israel, because He has made you beautiful. Foreigners shall build up your walls and the kings shall minister to you, for in my wrath I struck you, but in my favor I have had mercy on you. Your gates shall be open continually, day and night they shall not be shut, that people may bring to you the wealth of the nations with their kings led in procession. For the nation and kingdom that will not serve you shall perish. Those nations shall be utterly laid waste. The glory of Lebanon shall come to you, the cypress, the plain, and the pine, to beautify the place of my sanctuary, and I will make the place of my feet glorious. The sons of those who afflicted you shall come bending low to you, and all who despise you shall bow down at your feet. They shall call you the city of the Lord, the Zion of the Holy One of Israel." Whereas you have been forsaken and hated, with no one passing through, I will make you majestic forever, a joy from age to age. You shall suck the milk of nations, you shall nurse at the breast of kings, and you shall know that I, the Lord, am your Savior and your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. Instead of bronze, I will bring gold, and instead of iron, I will bring silver. Instead of wood, bronze, instead of stones, iron, I will make your overseers peace and your taskmasters righteousness. Violence shall be no more heard in your land, devastation or destruction within your borders. You shall call your walls salvation and your gates praise. The sun shall be no more your light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon give you light. But the Lord will be your everlasting light and your God will be your glory. Your sun shall go down no more, nor, nor your moon withdraw itself. For the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your days of mourning shall be ended. This is God's word. Let's pray for his blessing upon it. Heavenly Father, do you ask that you would teach us by your word, that you would open us up to the truth of it, that we would be shaped and formed and encouraged, that we would know the light of Christ, and that it would be reflected upon us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 
What would happen if, like a light switched, the sun suddenly stopped shining? An article in Popular Science a few years ago detailed what would happen. Within a week, the average global surface temperature would be less than zero degrees Fahrenheit. Within one year, it would be less than negative 100. The top layer of the ocean would freeze, and then a long time after that, the, the ice actually serves as a layer of insulation, but a long time after that, the world would eventually stabilize at a negative 400 degrees Fahrenheit. There would be microorganisms who would continue to grow for some time, but the majority of life would have a very brief post-sun existence. Photosynthesis would stop almost immediately. Almost all plants would be dead within a few weeks. And then with plants gone and the bottom of the food chain eliminated, animals would be quickly dead. And then the scavengers, you know, the vultures and cockroaches, they would live for a while as they feasted on all the dead animals, eventually until the cold completely killed them. All if the sun stopped shining. And our world is in no less peril if the light of God stopped shining. If it suddenly if he suddenly turned off his light, we would be in no less peril. Consider this. Let's think for a moment how light actually works and the nature of light. Light itself is not diminished by darkness. It's not thwarted by darkness. This is what our text begins to indicate in verse 2. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth and thick darkness the people's. So if you saw last week in Isaiah chapter 9, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. But consider how light and darkness interact with each other. Water quenches fire. Fire causes water to boil. Heat melts ice. Ice turns lava into stone. Dirt contaminates that which is clean. These things all are held in tension with each other, and the increase of one necessarily means the decrease of another. But not so with light, for darkness cannot diminish light. The only thing that diminishes light is less light. They're not in tension with each other. Light is not balanced by the darkness, that they're not equal and opposing forces where there's more darkness, there's an equal amount of light, where these two things are in tension with each other over the course of the universe, as our Star Wars series has made popular. Darkness is literally nothing. It is literally the absence of light. So if light is shining in the darkness, more darkness does not diminish light. In fact, when things are really dark, you can see even the little bit of light more clearly. Your eye, the human eye, the naked eye, is able to see the stars of the sky. And with the naked eye, you're able to, the farthest star that you're able to see in the sky is a star in the Cassiopeia constellation, which is over 16,000 light years away. A light year is the distance that light travels in a year. How far is that? Well, that's roughly, take the circumference of the earth, Multiply it by 7.5, multiply that by 31.6 million, roughly equals 6 with 12 zeros of how far light travels in a year. 
and the star in the Cassiopeia constellation is 16,000 times farther than that away. That's 9.7 times 10 to the 15th million miles away, and you are able to see that light with your own eye. The vast darkness of the universe does not diminish the light. In fact, more darkness does not make there to be less light. And what Scripture tells us clearly is that Jesus Christ is the light of the world. He never stops shining. The darkness has not overcome it. Indeed, the darkness cannot overcome it. What does it mean for us? It's quite simply this, that if you're in Christ, if you have the light of Christ in you, you have no reason to fear the darkness. You're not in tension with the darkness. You have no reason to fear it, but rather to shine your light into it. Generally, the Christian response to darkness is, is fear. It's like, you know what? There is so much darkness in this world. The darkness is coming. We, we need to all run and hide. We, we need to get away from the darkness. We need to take all the lightning bugs and stick them in our own jar so that they're not scattered out in the darkness. But what does the darkness need? It needs light. And it needs light to shine in the darkness. Now, this is what we've been looking at over the last couple weeks of how the light of the gospel shines in the darkness or different types of darkness that the light of Christ shines into it. But I want to focus here in this passage and what this passage instructs us on how exactly light shines in the darkness. It tells us in verse 1, here is how light shines in the darkness. God says to his people through Isaiah, arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Shine, for your light has come. This is not a prophecy about Jesus, meaning that Jesus Christ is the light and that baby is going to shine. It's actually talking about the people of God. And he's calling upon the people of God to shine into the darkness. An image of that is a little bit like someone with a rescue mirror. If you're lost in the woods and you've got a rescue mirror, you know, it's dark. If it's dark at night, your light cannot shine. If it's overcast, your light cannot shine. And if you have been lost for several days in the woods, and there's an airplane flying overhead, and the clouds break, and the sun shines and the sun shines through it, what do you do? You arise and you shine your light. Why? Because your light has now come. There is a light upon you that allows you to reflect it it, so that it can be seen miles and miles away. Different image. There's a light being reflected by you. It comes radiated through you, kind of like a beautiful stained glass window. At night, you don't see anything. But when light has come... When light shines upon it, it is glorious and beautiful, and the light radiates into the darkness. And what Isaiah is saying is that the glory of God radiates through his people, through the world. Verse 1 and 2, it tells us this. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. The Lord will arise upon you. And his glory will be seen upon you. And then it describes what happens. And nations shall come to your light and the kings to the brightness of your rising. Now, I know this isn't the typical way that we often think about the glory of God. We speak of God's glory in terms of the glory that God possesses, the glory that is inherent to who God is, and that's all true. We speak of the fact that there is a glory that we are to give to God, that we are to give him honor and praise in all areas of our life. 
But Scripture speaks about glory in a third way. It is the glory that comes from God to His people. And this is what Isaiah is saying. There is a glory that comes from God to His people so that they would then shine and that that light from God to His people, that their light would then shine in the darkness to the ends of the earth and that His people would be these little, would be these little reflections all over the globe in every position in society and every place in the globe that His people would be shining the light of Christ to the ends of the earth. Isaiah explains to us why this happens. He identifies that the way that this works for God's people to shine this light, it actually occurs because there is a transformation that has occurred in the life of God's people. Stated several different ways in this verse, but I think it's stated most clearly in verse 19. And this is the transformation that occurs. It says, The Lord your God will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. Your God will be your glory. What is your glory? That would be, what are you known for? What is your, your reputation? What are, you, what are you delight in? What, is, what, is, what, are you, what do people regard you for? We would stand in awe, you know, or we do when we consider the glory of a of a bride or a princess and how radiant and beautiful she is. And we say, look at her arrayed in all of her glory. We consider the, the glory of competition, the glory of the Olympics and winning an Olympic gold medal. There's the glory, as, the, as many halls will show, the, there's military glory in the halls of honor. So what is your glory? What are you known for? What is, your, what is your reputation that goes before you? Is it the missions that you flew some years ago? Is it, you know, it's Christmas time. Is it the, the Christmas dinner that you cook that everyone wants to go to your house? Is it that you're the one that's the life of a party, that you're the joker that keeps everyone laughing? Is your glory that you're the person that's got the, 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 the magic bullet, that you've got the health cure for whatever ails other people? Is your glory your, your workout and exercise routine or your, your diet or helping, you know, or, or telling other people how they need to eat differently? Is your glory, is it your glory in your founding your career or your success? Is your glory your children that just says, look at what a great job that I did? Or is that what you want it to be? or in your schooling, that you're the one that's figured out how to give the best education possible or maximize the system. What is, what is your glory? What is it that you are living for, that you delight in, that is your renown and that is your reputation? And what Isaiah says happens is that there is something so remarkable, so stunning, so transformative, that what happens to the people of God is this. Is that there is a day coming. There is the time coming when something truly remarkable is going to happen. There is a time coming when something so incredible will happen that the whole world will know about it. The whole world will see it and be drawn to it. 
There is a time coming when the people of God will glory in God. When the people of God will glory in God, that God will be their glory. That's what verse 19 says. That God will be their delight. That when people look at them, that they see, they see Christ. That the glory that comes from God to his people is shining from his people out into the world. And that people's greatest delight is to know Jesus and to have joy and fulfillment in him. And when that occurs, all the counterfeit glories will fade away. And these lesser glories, which the other things I mentioned are, they're good things, but they're not the ultimate thing, is that these lesser glories fade away. Charles Spurgeon, a Baptist preacher, said, It is perhaps one of the hardest struggles of the Christian life to learn this sentence. Not just to say it, lots of people say it, but to learn it, meaning that you, you actually live it, that you actually believe it, that when you say it, it gives you great joy. One of the hardest struggles of the Christian life is to learn this sentence, not unto us, not unto us, but unto your name be glory, O God. Not unto us, not unto us, but to your name be glory, O God. You know, not said in like a, a false humility, oh, no, 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 you know, this is like, you know, to God be the glory, I mean, but look how awesome I am, but you know, i got to be spiritually glorious too, so to God be the glory. No, that you actually learn it and that you don't just say it. That your greatest desire is that God would be your glory. And Isaiah says that's what God's going to do through his people. And it's not just Isaiah, it's actually Jesus said the same thing, slightly different way. Jesus in John chapter 12 said, made clear, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness but have the light of life. Light has come in Jesus Christ. But guess what Jesus says to his disciples? You are the light of the world. You are the ones who are to go out into the darkness. You are the ones to have the light of Christ in you to go to the ends of the earth. That God has decided that he's going to make his light known among the nations through his people, foretold by Isaiah, declared by Jesus Christ. So that begs the question, if this is happening, why is the world a dark place? He goes on in chapter 5 to tell us, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Why is the world a dark place? Because lights don't shine. Because the people of God are glorying in other things besides God. Because the people of God who have a light to shine are hiding it. No wonder the world's a dark place when lights stop shining, when you can't see. And so Isaiah says to the people of God, to them and to us, to people who are discouraged, who are discouraged by the amount of darkness, he says, with great joy, arise, shine, for your light has come. Be radiant, be glorious. There is a glory that comes from God to you, upon you, to be radiated into the world. What does that mean? It means identifying as a Christian, living as one, with the highest level of integrity, with love and mercy and grace. That means you're someone that prays for people. You know that when someone's challenged at work or their heartache, say, you know, can I pray for you? 
And they probably will say yes. You say, would you, be, would you be okay if I did that right now? And if not, that's okay. But start to live as a light when people ask you what's going on in your life. Tell them what God's doing in your life as, as part of a normal conversation. Share what God is doing. Arise, shine, for your light has come. And then Isaiah goes on to describe you know, this mechanism of how this works. There is the light of God that comes, shines upon his people, and, and it reflects upon his people, and it radiates to the world as they, are, as they are shining this light into all the darkness. And then Isaiah goes on to describe what's, what actually happens. And what he declares is that the whole world will be united by this light. This light will unite the world in Christ Jesus. This is the, what the rest of Isaiah chapter 60 lays out. And this passage in Isaiah chapter 60 is so rich and deep. Um, it actually has several books of the New Testament are drawn specifically from this whole chapter. I would love to spend a ton of time going through it. But the overarching point of Isaiah chapter 60 is that the world will be united together ultimately in Christ Jesus. You see it in verse 3 through 4, that the peoples of the world will be gathered together. Verse 3, the nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together. They come to you, your sons, and your, your sons shall come from afar and your daughters shall be carried on the hip. What is he describing? That the light of God shines upon the people of God. It shines from the people of God. It's reflected into the world. Other people see the light in the midst of the darkness. They are drawn to the light, and then they are gathered together into the worship of God. And then when they come, they don't come empty-handed. Because it brings the people of the nations together. It also brings the wealth of the nations together. Verse 5 through 7. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall be shall thrill and exult because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you. That's a good thing. The young camels of Midian and Ephah and those of Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall bring good news. The praises of the Lord. All the flocks of Kedar shall be gathered to you. The rams of Nalbaeth shall minister to you. They shall come with acceptance on my altar. I will beautify my beautiful house. Who are these that fly like a cloud, like the doves to their window? What he's describing is that the world is being united in Christ and that the wealth of the nations will gather together to beautify the worship of God. That they're drawn into the worship of God. And so not only are the people gathered together, and the wealth of the nations gathered together, but also the glory of the nations are gathered together. That which peoples are known for, the very best that humankind has to offer, is gathered together in the worship of God. Verses 8 through 9. For the coastlands, coastlands shall hope it for me, the ships of Tarshish first, to bring your children from afar, their silver and gold with them, for the name of the Lord your God and for the Holy One of Israel, because he has made you beautiful. The glory of Lebanon shall come to you. The cypress, the plain, and the pine. Why, why trees in Lebanon? Because Lebanon was known for their incredible forests, for the, the beautiful trees that they have. It says, they will come to you to beautify the place of my sanctuary, and I will make the place of my feet glorious. What is he describing? That the very best of humankind is gathered together 
in the worship of God. The trees of Lebanon, the ships of Tarshish, 8th century B.C. sailing vessel, so incredible in its engineering design that it leads the way into the new heavens and new earth as it is united in Jesus Christ. And indeed, in the book of Revelation, some 900 years later, John picks up on this exact same image. After a new heavens and new earth, after Christ has united the world into him and people of every tongue, tribe, and nation have gathered together, John declares that the fulfillment of Isaiah will be complete. He says this in chapter 21. The city has no need of sun or moon to shine in it, for the glory of God gives its light and its lamp is the Lamb. That's the fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 60. By its light will the nations walk. Why? Because the light of God shining through the people of God to the ends of the earth have drawn the nations back together. And the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. The very best things will be brought and laid before the throne of Jesus as an offering to him as praise and worship of him. And the gates of the city will never be shut by day, and there, will be no, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. The glory of the nations is brought into the worship of God. This is really mind-blowing. The picture of what happens when the entire earth is united in to Christ and into the light of Christ. Ray Ortland, a biblical scholar, reflects upon Isaiah chapter 60 and the implications through Revelation chapter 21. He says this, The glory and the honor of the nations will be brought into the holy city. What does that mean? Human literature and music and dress and all aspects of culture are brought in now purified and consecrated to Christ, flowing into the church, enriching everyone and beautifying the place of God's presence. Can you picture it? Imagine this. Here comes a string quartet from Vienna playing Mozart. Here comes a steel drum band from the Caribbean. Here comes a pipe band from Scotland in their kilts. Here comes a teenage garage band from 1960s California and all the rest. No one is excluded except those who are too good for Christ and his church, but are brought in, united in Christ in the worship of him, and united around Christ and the salvation that he brings. Orland continues describing this remarkable reordering of society where those that persecuted the followers of Christ will be united in worship of Christ, which Isaiah 60 describes. He says, God has not revealed himself in many religions, but through Christ alone. Isaiah sees the implications of that. It means there is only one culture of salvation in the world, the Christian church. He isn't saying that Christians will be the bosses and everyone else the slaves. That way of thinking belongs to this present evil age. He is saying that the glory of Christ will reunite the human race. That the church will be no longer be persecuted. The world will no longer be aggressive and hostile. The church will be the lead culture of the world. No more false inferiority or false superiority. We'll be at our best in Christ. 
The world will hurry to be a part of it, and they will not come empty-handed. Do you see what God's describing is happening here? There is the glory of God, the glory that is inherent to him, a glory that comes, that is bound in God. And God says that this glory is manifested in Jesus Christ. There is, and then through you, Colossians actually says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. There is this glory that comes through Christ, from God, through Christ, to the people of God, so it's reflected on the people of God to go out to the nations of the world and to the darkest places so that the light of Christ shines to the ends of the earth, that people see that light and they are drawn to the light and drawn into the worship of God so that they would give God the praise and glory that he is due. That is the result that Isaiah sees. They shall bring in their, their gold and frankincense. They shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. Because the world is reunited in the worship of Christ. And he says, on that day when they're all united together, you shall know that I, the Lord, that I am your Savior, your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob, All of this that he is describing here, the light shining in the darkness, the light reuniting the world in Christ, bringing the peoples, the wealth, the glory of the nations together in worship of Christ, all of this is not done for the people of God. But it is done through the people of God. What this means is that you are not insignificant to God's work in the world. And the message of Scripture again and again is be the light that God made you to be. Reflect the light of Christ wherever Christ puts you. Arise. Shine. Because there is no other glory. No other Lord. No other Savior. No other Redeemer. No other Mighty One. There is no other light. The nations are covered in darkness, and what darkness needs is the light of Christ to shine into it. And what God is calling the church to do through Isaiah and through the New Testament is he is saying, church of Jesus Christ, the light shines in the darkness, and darkness will not overcome it. The glory of God has shone upon you in Jesus Christ. Glory in God. And then arise and shine, for your light has come. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we worship you. Heavenly Father, you are due all honor and praise and glory, all renown, all splendor, all all only goes to you. And we worship you. And Lord, at the same time, we confess to you our passivity. We confess to you that we are more than content with you doing a work without us being a part of it except to be the recipient. But Lord... In your mercy, in your sovereignty, in your plan, in your design, you decided to do a really, really crazy thing. Not only would you send Jesus Christ to enter into the darkness and die on the cross and rise from the grave so that there would be light in this world and that you would have the life of light through Christ, but you, Lord, decided that you would bring light to the darkness through your people. 
that you would send out millions of reflectors through all levels of government and business and society and neighborhoods and across our country and across our globe, that you would send out millions of reflectors so they would shine because you are our glory and because our light has come in Jesus Christ. So, Lord, may we, your people, may we shine and may we glory in you alone. Amen. Please stand and join with us. God rest you, merry gentlemen. God rest ye, merry gentlemen. Let nothing you dismay. Remember Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day to save us all from Satan's power when we were gone astray. and joy, all tidings of comfort and joy. From God our heavenly Father, a blessed angel came, and unto certain shepherds brought tidings of the same, how that in Bethlehem was born the Son of God by name, all tidings of comfort Shepherds at those tidings rejoice in bunch in mind.
receive the Lord's blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.